welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is New to Two. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me on this wonderful morning. We're recording on a morning for once. That's different. David Luzader, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm on a particularly hard boss fight in Hollow Knight for everybody out there playing it. And uh, so it's nice to take a moment to relieve some stress with podcasting. There you go. That game looks really good. I haven't checked that game out. I probably should. Very cool. And Nicole Davis, how are you? Uh, not too bad. Uh, my older son's band competition went well last night, and uh, I got to snuggle with the cat a lot and spend time with my younger son. And so uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. There you go. Right on. Very, very good. Well, uh, we watched a new-to-two movie. For those unfamiliar, that is when one of the hosts has the opportunity to pick a movie that the other two have not seen, and we all go ahead and watch it. Now, before we talk about this week's movie, I do want to announce next week's movie. It is Netflix Roulette, and the movie is Swordfish. Um, (laughs) So, we spun the wheel. I wonder what we'll have to say about that movie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, we're recording out of orders. We've already recorded this, and we've suffered this. So, Swordfish, the John Travolta vehicle, we are going to be watching next week for Netflix Roulette. That, of course, is when we spin a wheel, and Netflix determines our fate, and that is what it determined our fate is. So, uh, stay tuned for that, and maybe just don't watch it. Maybe just come for the discussion. It'll be a great discussion. You don't need that in your life. Uh I digress. Let's talk about Out of Sight. Out of Sight came out in 1998. A career bank robber busts out of jail with the help of his buddy and briefly kidnaps a U.S. Marshal in the process. When the two cons head for Detroit to pull off their final big score, the Marshal follows. But she finds her attraction, the one of them, is making her have second thoughts about bringing them in. Uh, Nicole, this was your pick for New to Two. Yes. Uh, why did you pick this movie? Because it's awesome. Uh, (laughs) But also we had watched Jackie Brown a little bit ago, and that's also based on an Elmore Leonard novel. And so that movie and this one are tied together a little bit in my head. So I was really kind of itching to get this one on the list as well. Uh, This one is Steven Soderbergh, not Quentin Tarantino. So there's a much different style to it, but it's still got that sort of uh, tight a uh, twisty plot that Elmore Leonard likes to do. So I thought it would be a good time. You know, I was so surprised when Michael Keaton shows up looking exactly like his character in Jackie Brown. And it took me a second to realize it was his character. The same exact same character. Yeah. And yet Samuel Jackson, not the same character. No, thankfully. Yeah, yeah. Samuel L. Jackson shows up at the very end of this movie. But I thought it was cool that um, apparently Tarantino did not... uh, I I believe it was Miramax and another production house that owned the rights to these different movies. And Tarantino was emphatic that Miramax not uh, charge 
the production house that made this movie for the use of the character. Um, yeah. he on, felt- and on, on top of that, Michael Keaton and Samuel Jackson both did their cameos for free. That's so cool. That is so cool. Um, this movie was was fascinating to me, having never seen this before. Um, mostly because I've never really seen J Lo act in anything that was okay. Uh, <laughs> and you know Wait, what? J Lo's pretty good door, here. Right? You didn't love the boy next door. The boy next door. Um, yeah, you know I haven't seen a J Lo movie where I was like, "Wow, J Lo can kind of act." Um, yeah, and this movie, I will say, I forgot. Uh, look, not Jennifer Lopez is still very attractive, still beautiful, but I forgot how much in this time of like J Lo was uh, a hot commodity. She was oh, yes. mm-hmm. a smoke show, and in this movie, in a few scenes, I'm like, hot damn, that's an attractive woman. <laughs> also, to be fair, George Clooney, whenever on screen, I was like, hot damn, yeah. that is an attractive man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this was this was his prime. I want to say prime period, but it's like he keeps, you know, he's he's aging incredibly well and has been since his thirties. Um, but this was sort of the like at the crest of youthful handsomeness meets maturity. Oh yeah, no, because he had his hair so. was starting to get that salt and pepper kind of thing going for it, but he still had that like smoking hot bod. Yeah. <laughs> everything going on there, I was for it. Yeah, he was trying to do action movies as well as artsy movies, so he had to stay in tip-top shape. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, Jennifer Lopez. I noticed something interesting about looking into. Um, she had her own makeup person on this movie because I was watching her and I'm just like sitting here fascinated by how perfectly oh. her lips is applied. <laughs> Every time there's a, for some reason that scene in the bathroom um, after they had just had sex, it's like the middle of the night and she like wakes up and goes to the bathroom and comes back to talk to him. I'm like, your lipstick is perfect. Also, yeah. why are you wearing lipstick at this point? <laughs> well, maybe she put it back on in the bathroom. Yeah, there we go. Um, but her, she had her own makeup person, and she worked with that person like eight more times in the next well, ten years. Yeah, I so I mean, if I had a makeup person who made me look that good, I would hold on to them too. So. <laughs> I feel like I feel but, like talking about the attractiveness of George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez is going to take up much of this episode. Well, yes, it could. Well, and that's the thing is, so. is Nicole, you, I think you prefaced this to us saying that we haven't watched a sexy movie yet. And I didn't really yes. know what you meant until we got into this movie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sexy movie for not being sexually explicit. It is a sexy, sexy movie. Right. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, so every five minutes, there's a new character, actor, I love. Nicole, you put the Sarah docket. Yeah, this is peppered with, oh, my gosh, it's that guy from that. Right? Like, there's so right. many of them. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know, uh, I think it was David who was like, oh, is that Luis Guzman? And now Steve Zahn is here? Yeah, Steve Zahn's in this movie? <laughs> I thought and it was going to be like a bit part for Steve Zahn, but he is in a lot of this movie. Yeah. You know, and you've got Ving Rhames, Don Cheadle, Dennis Farina, Albert Brooks, uh, Catherine Keener, Isaiah Washington, and then Viola Davis shows up. Like, Yeah, I was about to say, I, I'm sitting through the scene. I'm like, that's Viola Davis. Like, it is, oh, that is the yeah. weirdest one to me. 
So. Yeah, this this movie is chock full of people you recognize, and even if like you don't fully register that it's like, oh, that's you know that's Luis Guzman or that's uh, you don't know the name of that person, it's still like, oh, it's a movie from 1998. I've seen them in many other movies from 1998 and around that time. Yeah, but I mean, all well, all these people, save for Dennis Freena, rest in peace, are still working. So is Albert Brooks? Oh yeah, Albert Brooks is still working. I guess yeah. So on and off anyway. Yeah, I guess so, I, uh, I think briefly I had someone else in my head for Albert Brooks. Uh, oh yeah, we watched him on Drive. Yeah, this is not our first Albert Brooks movie. Yeah. Right. yeah. Exactly. So another interesting thing about this movie, I think, uh, is the cold open could be its own short film. This is a this is something from the cold. Why don't you elaborate upon that? Well, I mean the the cold open, we open with him coming out of a building, throwing his necktie and crossing the street and robbing a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, we circle back around later as to why he's leaving that first building and throwing his necktie. But this open, he goes in, he, he robs the bank, he leaves and it tells you everything about Jack Foley's character in like less than five minutes. You know, he can get frustrated and do things on impulse, but, while he's doing them, he's also utterly smooth and confident. Um, you know, he charms the the teller that he's. he's well, he tries to charm the teller that he's robbing, yeah, and I don't you know, know helping charms her. Well, he's he's helping keep her calm. He's sort of coaching her through it to make sure everything goes smoothly. And he com- you know, he compliments her. He's like, "You're doing great," you know. And when, when she finishes, robbed. he's like, "Have a nice day." And she says, "You too," out of reflex, <laughs> which is a nice touch that I love. But you know, the other the other thing about Jack that you learn from this is that he can screw up, like not having a reliable getaway car. So I'm- he does get caught in the end at the end of this very smoothly pulled off robbery. Well, yeah, I mean, because as we learned, that robbery was very. Uh, last minute, you know, he was not planning it. I mean, he seems like from everything discussed of him in the film, you know, he's he's successfully robbed over 200 banks. Uh, so he's a guy that always kind of has everything planned out. He knows exactly what he's doing. But we see like even when he's kind of faking it in a sense, when he's just when he's doing it, but flying by the seat of his pants, he's still very effective because he knows exactly what to do. But when he's not when everything's not planned out, you see how quickly it can go south. And he also never uses a gun. Uh, he is purely robbing banks on his suaveness, right? <laughs> um, I mean, if, if, if he walked into my home, I would start giving George Clooney money and be like, yeah, here you go. There you go. <laughs> Which actually becomes right. a very interesting thing later on when he has to actually use a gun. Uh, but let, let's talk about Don Cheadle because <laughs> I just want to go there because Don Cheadle in this movie to me is one of the most fascinating parts of it because... I love Don Cheadle, and he I've never seen him in a character like this, and he is the really the antagonist for much of the movie. Yeah, as we uh, might discuss, who knows, in the Swordfish episode, uh, that Don Cheadle is a great actor who's always kind of giving it his all. Um, and I think in this movie as well, like, like definitely he plays this this guy, uh, the Snoop, I can't remember his actual, uh, Maurice Miller, who you always kind of get a sense from the way that Cheeto portrays him. He's always on the edge of doing something. 
you know, he's he's got this calm collective feel, but at any moment he could turn around and shoot you or shank you in line at the uh, at, at the prison. Right. Yeah, I think this is definitely the most uh, dangerous and intimidating character I've ever seen her pl- seen him play, um, and it's interesting because he, I don't think he's that big of a guy and no, yet he exudes this very menacing air successfully like you know he when he says that he will hurt you he means it he's done it before he will do it again um and yeah. you believe it completely so oh yeah absolutely yeah so what what ends, what ends up happening in this movie is you know they all get out of prison at some point or another and the the stoner man refresh me on his name. <laughs> uh, Glenn is the character's name, but it's played by Steve Zahn. Okay, so Glenn has found out that another man who was in prison with them at the time for tax evasion or whatever it is, a big head Wall Street honcho, has uncut diamonds uh, in his home that uh, he is keeping in excess of five million dollars, and they decide they're going to rob his house. Uh, five point two. Five point two. <laughs> So they go to Robba's house, and uh, and this is where the show, the movie unravels in weird directions to me. Because, and I kind of love it because George Clooney's bank robber turns into the hero, and yeah. and gender norms get flipped toward the end of this movie. And I realize I'm jumping toward the end of the movie a little bit, but I think it is worth talking about because, like, the 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 masculine hero is typically a man. I guess what I'm trying to say is like JLo and George Clooney have reversed roles here. Like he's the one that she's trying to save in a way. Like typically those are gender reversed. Yes. Uh, And that, uh, yes, that's actually, uh, so, okay. The reason that I'm kind of like sighing here is because I think like as much as I enjoyed this movie, and I think I put this discussion topic in there. It's also super tropey. It's, you know, it's a 1998 film. It feels like a 1998 film uh, in a number of ways. And this, like, that's, I don't know. There was some stuff, especially in that last moment when George Clooney becomes the, the, the you know, the, the bandit with the, what the moral aptitude, like I got to stop them from doing really bad stuff. I was like, Oh, okay. It's fine. But I've seen it before. He's a criminal with a conscience. Yeah. He doesn't want to hurt anybody physically during his crimes. Right. Which is why but, he never carries a gun in the bank robberies. But he's all about, like, he's robbed all these banks. He knows he's going to go to prison. He's all about self-preservation. But that's like, nah, well, I better stop these guys. No one else is going to. It's like, that's not, that doesn't, that, that point doesn't jive with that character for me when he's been all about self-preservation. And there's been nothing in his interactions with, with, uh, J-Lo that tells me, oh, he's coming around and trying to be a better person. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing in his, in his interactions with her that says that he ever wants to um, you know, stop being a criminal and work a regular job and we see, you know, why that's the case. It just does not fit him to, to be a, a nine-to-five working dude and um, so yeah, she's he knows that that Karen Cisco is not going to talk him out of it and but I mean I hmm. <laughs> back in 
back in Lompoc prison where he meets Albert Brooks's character, uh, Ripley, the rich guy, he helps him um, because he's currently, you know, Rip, Ripley is currently being fleeced by Maurice Miller, who's charging, you know, Maurice Miller can get stuff for him and the, get him comforts and things, but he's charging him through the nose, like $3,000 for a goldfish. Um, and Jack steps in and he keeps, he also steps in to keep Ripley from making a scene when, uh, Maurice shanks somebody in the prison line and keeps him moving, uh, and keeping, keeps him from getting involved. And I'm not sure if that's, I feel like that is at least in part him trying to help somebody else out who is vulnerable in a way to To being hurt. To a degree, yes, but it also felt to me like, hey, this guy uh, looks like I can... I also felt like George Clooney was trying to get stuff out of him, as we see later in the movie as well. Right. You know, he's, like, trying to get... He eventually tries to get a job out of him. He, like, I think he, like, recognizes something in this guy or knows something about him that, like, I also can use him. It's just... I, I get, you know, we want to we want to root for somebody. We, we want to root for George Clooney, so we want him to be the, the good guy, or like the the bad boy with a heart of gold. I'm just saying, I've seen it before, and it wasn't, it didn't feel fresh in this movie. Yeah, I, yeah, can see I, that. I think there. I think in the movie, like you said, the movie is chock full of tropes. Um, but some of the things I do love about it is it does circumvent those in some interesting ways and aside from the fact that i i do think it circumvents some gender norms in the characters of j-lo and, and clooney i also think that you know there's scenes like stoner guy i'm, I'm losing his name again glenn. <laughs> glenn glenn just like leaves them like they're they're their driver their getaway driver when they escape prison leaves them um because j-lo talks him into it like she doesn't have a weapon or anything like that she's just like you know we should really go um oh, and there's so many oddities they, like that in this movie because they kidnapped a u.s marshal that doesn't end well for anybody <laughs> <laughs> she's able to appeal to glenn a little bit of like hey this is stupid if you help me out it doesn't have to be stupid for you right uh, i i will say i did appreciate them pointing out the one last job trope uh, I when uh, there's there's a scene of George Clooney and Ving Rhames sitting in the car, and Ving Rhames says something of like "one last job and we're done," and then George Clooney is like, "When does that ever happen? Like, when does that ever work?" <laughs> like, okay, I appreciate that because it's not just going to be like all we have to do is get these diamonds, and the, you know, like Ving Rhames being like, "Don't go back to help him. It's just we're so close. One last job." You know, like they 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 recognize is going on of like there's we're probably gonna get shot during this, right? And that makes sense. And Ving Rhames' character is so pure to me. Uh, <laughs> I love his character so much because this is the character that has so much of a of a guilty conscience about what he does that he must call his sister to confess before crimes, uh, much to his chagrin when she I, calls the police on him. <laughs> I did like that because it's like he he plays it off as like, oh, I'm annoyed by what she does. And like, you know, she prays for me and stuff like that. But then there's that pointing out of like one time he uh, he like paid 
a, like a woman to sleep with him and he was like with her for 45 minutes but then talked to his sister about it for two hours <laughs> <laughs> he just has a hard time dealing with the life he's in but it's also the life he continues to stay in right but it's also the life that right. he like seemingly loves which is what i think is so funny about his character exactly, and i yeah. love i've never felt such like childhood purity and like joy from a from a robber when ving rames at the very end of the movie looks into the little sack of all the uh uncut diamonds that they scored and just has this like beaming face um and it makes me so happy i don't even care that he's robbing people i just want ving rames to be happy i to be fair we never see ving rames rob anybody in this movie he's just kind of there and reaping the benefits <laughs> that's kind of true right like yeah, that's yeah. kind of true. I love his but character. I though. Yeah, no, I do too. Buddy is Buddy is charming in his own way, and he's trying to be sort of the Jiminy Cricket, uh, although not in the sense of let's not commit crimes, but let's not be stupid in how we commit our crimes. Yeah, there's a. So I was looking uh, since I was talking about tropes. You know, I, I went on the TV tropes yeah. uh, page for this website, and there's something for this movie. Uh, and there's something called the Freudian trio, which I guess is exonif- uh, is, is in this movie. I don't know what word I was about to say there. So we're just going to pretend I wasn't going to. Uh, but Jack Foley is the ego. He's the leader and has to reconcile Buddy and Glenn. Buddy is the super ego who regularly reminds Jack that he should what he should do to be safe, where Glenn is the id. He is a stoner and he follows his desires. And, you know, I feel like sometimes people, you have to reach hard for those kind of things. But I think in this movie, that makes sense in a lot of ways. I, especially Buddy is the super ego of, hey, man, what we're doing is stupid. Like, let's be smart about it. Yeah. No, and I think, but I also think that this movie subverts a really big trope, which is the, um, you know, the the couple on opposite sides of the law. You know, there's the falling in love, but neither of them have any illusions that this relationship is going to work you know there's no plan for jack to commit one last score and leave um law breaking behind and somehow go straight and then live a legitimate life with karen at the end there's that that's not in the cards for anybody and both of them know it and yet she sets him up with somebody who knows how to escape from prison yeah, she does. She does. But that's not in with the end of them being together. I think is it's it just because she likes it. I, well, I, I, so. I got it in the mind of like, they'll escape and then they'll figure it out. He'll escape and they'll figure it out. Hmm. I don't know. That wasn't the impression that I had, but that's... It's, it's vague. Yeah. Yeah. And in her character, to me, one of the more interesting parts about her is like, she's got this dad that half the movie he acts like or when you first meet the dad the dad's like hey we're not close you never talk to me and then the other half of the movie it's like they're best buds he's in every scene with her and (laughs) um good old dennis farina yeah so she, she like inexplicably becomes very close to her father off camera and he's there a lot um and then she's also uh he's also a marshal right in the movie? He's like an ex-cop or something. I think so. I think. He introduces himself as Marshall. Yeah. Cisco. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, they've, they, they're, they're, they're pretty close and especially in yeah. that way, you know, he, she followed so. in his footsteps. 
I think she he's just doing the parental thing of, oh, I don't, you know, I don't feel close to you, but she does tell him a lot of things right. for an adult movie, talking he, to her parent. Yeah, at the end of the movie, he knows about their timeout and like, you know, also encourages her like, go, you know, have your one last moment with him and then throw him in prison. He yeah, wants, he's, yeah, he's indulgent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was weird. <laughs> Um, so let's let's delve back at some of our other discussion topics the trunk scene and the bathroom scene okay there's a lot going on in both these uh, the trunk Bat- scene bathroom scene yeah, yeah <laughs> we're, we're, the bathtub scene not the bathroom scene yes uh, <laughs> now the trunk scene let's talk about that first it's it's a bizarre scene because it, it plays with tropes and it acknowledges as playing with tropes because they literally have dialogue about how people who fall in love in less than five minutes in movies is BS but- and then it also kind of right do that in the same room. time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But at the so same time, that... it's also kind of like different than any other shoved in a trunk scene I've ever seen. That scene, apparently, when it was originally shot, was one long continuous scene. Right, um, right. It was just one shot. And then test audiences really didn't like it. So they had to reshoot it and cut it and shoot it from different angles. Um, but apparently on like the DVD, you can see the the one long continuous shot. Which I think is yeah. is interesting and would maybe play a little bit better today with how you know those kind of things are now. But I could see why that scene works a little bit better if it's intercut with like his hand on her thigh and like you know close ups of like her face when she's smiling and stuff like that. You know, little stuff to kind of like cut it up and and really punctuate some of those moments. Right, and I actually have the DVD and watched uh, at least part of the scene, and it's. I guess they did like some insane number of takes of that scene. Um, And this was actually a reshoot. So this was basically take Mm -hmm. 46 um, of this scene. And I like the delivery in what's in the movie so much better. The take that's on the DVD is a little more George Clooney is a little more manic. Um, He's a little less, controlled and smooth and she's kind of more annoyed and uh, um, prickly and it just the chemistry doesn't work nearly as well yeah I, I, I think it's I mean it's a long scene it's like probably what five six minute long scene of them in the trunk yeah well, it's 100 think, miles to Miami. You know? Right exactly <laughs> and, I, and I think you know if when you're doing it as one long scene you're concern as an actor is remembering your lines because you don't want to mess up and have to start it all over again. So like your focus is much more on like, well, I just need to make sure I'm saying everything correct. But then when you're breaking it up and you, you have, you have a shot that lasts two to three seconds, you can be like, well, let me try that line again. You know, let me, let me try it this way. Instead, you can, you have a lot more control over your delivery versus like, let me just get it out because right. I just need to say it. Right. And I mean, in the in the shots that are in the movie, uh, the camera is also a little bit closer. And so you get this, it it better conveys the sense of intimacy and physical closeness. And you can see her listening to him as he's sort of rambling a little bit about um, like his, I think he mentions he has an ex-wife, but they were only married for a year because they, they got along great and they were friends, but they didn't have that spark. And um, 
she actually, you know, she tries to sort of keep an emotional distance, but she softens when he mentions three days of the condor and because it's a movie she knows and there's something about that movie that bothers her. And so she actually starts talking to him, you know, saying, oh, she didn't think it made sense how they got together so quickly. Uh, it's almost <laughs> kind of worse that they pull that they pointed out. I know. It's, <laughs> because it's like, oh, don't, isn't it dumb when movies do that? Like we're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, uh, I Hey, I forgive it because I think that their, their chemistry is so palpable in this movie. Yeah, they got good I chemistry. think it really works. So, I mean, I have to wonder, it's George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. Could they have... Well, I mean, we've seen Jennifer Lopez have bad chemistry in movies before. Yes. So, but it's George Clooney. You could have great chemistry with a mannequin. Ooh, remake, remake of Mannequin with George Clooney. Topanga, write that down. <laughs> and, and that actually ties into something you say in the, in the docket, David, which is this movie doesn't work with a less handsome... With someone less handsome than Clooney. Uh, it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> you kind of need Clooney, right? <laughs> because... Yeah, I think so. Oh, no, because when they kidnap a woman, put her in a trunk, and then he starts, like, hitting on her. <laughs> and it's if this wasn't George Clooney, we don't, it would be like, oh, this is... Imagine imagine that scene with Danny DeVito, and tell me it's the same scene. <laughs> tell me it's the same scene. Well, I mean, it's partly the handsome, but it's also partly the charm. You know, he's he's a very self-assured man, you know, and that comes across in a in a non non-aggressive way. I mean, we meet Absolutely. other characters in this movie who are very self-confident, who are scary as hell and you don't want to be anywhere near them and it's not charming at all. So. But in a non-aggressive way after they had just picked her up physically, stuffed her in a trunk and then right. <laughs> sure. Like there's still aggression. Nice but... way. <laughs> yeah, right. They're real nice. And I'm glad you threw out Danny DeVito's name because he produced this movie and was almost Ripley. So yeah, yeah. There's a few really interesting almost castings. Uh, Sandra Bullock was almost the character of Karen Sisko, uh, but Soderbergh thought that they didn't have the right chemistry for what he was trying to do. Uh, uh, the uh, the writer the writer of the book uh, imagined the character much more like Jack Nicholson or um, what was the other name that he oh mentioned? My God, this movie with Jack um, Nicholson. Yeah, would yeah. Imagine Jack Nicholson in that, <laughs> in that trunk with her. Oh God, I would not want to be stuck in a trunk with Jack Nicholson. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Okay, uh, or, I see the point now. Or uh, yeah, so Elmore uh, Elmore Leonard envisioned Jack Nicholson or Sir Sean Connery as Jack Foley when he sold the rights to his novel. Oh, Sean Connery mm. might have pulled it off in his younger but Sean, days. Yeah, in his younger days, Sean Connery at this point was yeah. still like, I don't know, Sean Connery's immortal, and I'm little confused on his actual age so i'm just gonna say 70 might be right probably i'm sure it? he's like in his 90s at this point <laughs> like, um so. isn't that just kind of entrapment like isn't entrapment just the sean connery i rob stuff movie oh that was that's super creepy because he has a romance with Catherine zeta jones who's like 40 years younger than him Right. This is, so, so, um, doesn't she also have a real life romance with someone forty years older? Well, she than her? does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so really, actually, with it. so really, it's not that unusual. Douglas. We think about it. So I mean, for for those who don't know, she's married to Michael Douglas, who is a good what twenty five years older than she is. Anyway? This could maybe be Michael Douglas. He's suave enough. 
I suppose. But I think it works better. <laughs> George Clooney is just, he is so good at being smug and yet not obnoxious. Yeah, he's cocky but lovable, which is so hard yeah. to pull off. Oh, yeah. It's no, very difficult to pull there's, off. There's a reason that we all love George Clooney, and because it's George Clooney, like he has charmed his way into all of our hearts. You know, <laughs> and he seems. Like even, you know, in like interviews and like videos we see of him, he's like, oh, he seems just so normal for being, you know, this <laughs> big Hollywood elite. Like, yeah, that, that you want to go for drinks with him. Right. You know. That man is calling all of us. One day we're all going to wake up to find that we've been robbed by George Clooney. <laughs> and we'll be OK with it. That could well be. That could well be. I mean, why wouldn't you clearly, you know, the character of Karen Cisco is I thought it was there's a one of the sexier moments of the movie leading into one of the funniest moments of the movie when she's, you know, after the trunk scene, you see her drive off with Glenn and then you don't know for a while what happens to her. And so the next thing you see is, you know, Jack saying he wants to get the mud off and then you, it cuts to him in a bathroom getting into a hot bath and the room is steamy and the light is like this reddish orange and he pulls off his shirt and you get to see him standing there for a second, pausing, looking uh, in the mirror, yeah. <laughs> touching his abs. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And um, he gets in the tub and you see Karen Cisco sneaking into the apartment and she goes into the bathroom and she's like one eyebrows up like, oh, hey, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> thank thank God that scene was a dream. Yes. It's a, <laughs> and it turns out it's, he pulls her into the bathtub and it's if I had not been a fully awakened sexual being before then, I definitely was <laughs> after. Um because it's, it's definitely one of the sexiest things I've ever seen in a movie, and they oh, pull it off really well. Yeah, it's sexy and it's steamy, but if that was like a, that, that was the scene that was playing out as it was actually happening in the movie, that would have been like, you know, them like being in the trunk, flirting and like starting to have their little thing. Like, oh, okay, you know, that's a little much. If that like, but then jump cut to the next scene of them together is immediately like pull into the bathtub. I'd been like, okay. What are we doing here? <laughs> right. <laughs> but it turns out it's a dream and Karen wakes up in the hospital and her her dad, like you were talking in her sleep, she's like, what? you see this, oh shit, look, cross her face. She's like, what, what did I say? Yeah. <laughs> uh, All I, I could think the, about though during that scene was he was really dirty and he's deciding yeah. to take a bath. He must have gonna, smelled terrible. And she's going to yeah, get should, in that you, bath you should with shower her. first if you're muddy. Yeah, there, there's a lot of nasty stuff in that water. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, really it's like that's he would need six more baths after that first bath in order to actually get clean. Baths are not for cleaning, everybody. PSA for movie go around. For that's not what that's for. They are for relaxing. They know this in Japan. Bathhouses, you, you shower and scrub off before you go get in the soaker tub. You know, I, I'm always disappointed because I know if I ever go to Japan, I'm not gonna be able to go into most hot springs and bathhouses and stuff because of my tattoos. And that's just a yeah. real shame. I hope that changes. Yeah. They will give you the hairy eyeball. If you've got tattoos, someone won't even let you in. Oh, I did not know that. Really? Yeah. That's, that's mm-hmm. bizarre. I think it's hot springs. They won't let you in some of them. Huh. Yeah. Okay. That's a cultural thing. Tattoos are, are mostly for the Yakuza. So yeah, Exactly. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, 
moving back to the movie. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, Soderbergh made this movie to try to escape the art house scene. Uh, well, it's certainly popcorny, right? <laughs> like, right. Uh, right. He certainly yeah. succeeded in making something that you could see and not think, <laughs> but also have it be fun and interesting. Right. I. I really like Steven Soderbergh a lot. Um, I haven't seen all of his movies, but the movies of his that I've seen, I typically really, really enjoy. I think Logan Lucky is a great film. Oh, I love um, that movie. Yeah, if you if you are listening to this and you did, have not seen Logan Lucky, I, I highly recommend it. Um, you know, the Oceans movies have this real style and panache that really like only he can kind of like pull off in a way and... There's, there's a lot to like about Steven Soderbergh. And I think there's hints of it here in this movie. There are some real hints of some Steven Soderbergh-ness. You know, it's a heist movie, first of all. A movie that Steven Soderbergh will be making until the end of his career. But I also think that it's it feels in some times... And I get, you know, he's trying to um, break out of the art house thing, as we were saying. That, so it's a little bit generic in some ways. And it's it's... You know, that's fine, but it's also like proto Soderbergh. So it's like hard to, I don't know. It, it, it feels very Soderbergh in a way and also not because of what he was trying to do. Well, yeah, I mean, it's got some of his touches like the occasional uh, freeze frame where it yeah. pauses for just a second and um, it's got that sort of jazzy, uh, jazzy, funky soul score that he works with later in the oceans 11 movies and it's just you know it's got this feel to it's it still feels like a soderbergh movie yeah and you know the ending typically of his especially his heist movies kind of have this question mark to it of like the things don't wrap up quite nice and neat it's like there's still a story to tell beyond this um there's something else I was going to stay, say about Steven Soderbergh that I completely forget now. So I don't is know Ocean's why I'm saying Eight it. any good? Has anyone ever seen it? I just want to throw so, that out there. Is what any good? Ocean's, Ocean's Eight. 8 from this year. Oh, I have not seen it. I haven't seen it. Here's here's what I've, I've heard that it's it's pretty good, but it does. Did he direct it? He, he only produced it. Um, right. And that's actually one of the things is some people I've heard say is like it doesn't quite hold up to the like Ocean's Eleven movies and stuff like that, because it doesn't have the style that Soderbergh brought to those movies. Now, this is me saying it without having seen that movie. There's lots of really great stuff in it. Uh, and I I want to see it more than I definitely want to see the Ghostbusters thing that got <laughs> released. Also, I do want to throw out that he produced I'm Not There. Uh, he did. which Which we've seen. So very cool. I'm going to stop He's, scrolling through his filmography. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> let's, let's mention the fact that uh, guys, Magic Mike's actually a pretty dark movie. Yeah, <laughs> you guys yes, keep the movie, me this. <laughs> the movie you think Magic Mike is is it what is Magic not. Mike t- XXL. Yeah, yeah that's what the second one is. That's the movie you want to have on Girls Night. You don't want to haul Magic Mike out for Girls Night. Yeah, <laughs> the, the original Magic Mike is a lot about like drug addiction and depression yeah. and. It gets dark. Right. And feeling like you're going nowhere in life. And yeah. Yep. So. Nice. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm scrolling through his filmography. And the reason I'm doing it is because I'm not, 
I've never, aside from the Oceans movies, I've never really thought about what he's been involved in. And I didn't realize, like, this is the Pleasantville guy. Oh, no, he just produced Pleasantville. My point is that his filmography is kind of all over the place in really interesting ways. Oh, it really is. Yeah. Yeah, he tended to swing between one for me and one for the studio. Yeah, and Mm. and Logan Lucky was 100% the, like, one for me. Like, I went and saw that movie because I wanted to see it, but also because I had found out that he paid for all of the advertising himself. Uh, it was like a hundred percent backed by him alone, uh, which is a pretty like ballsy move for you know someone to do. And I I really wanted to support that. And also that movie's great. Brett, have you seen that movie? No, I haven't. You know, I might have. It rings. It's it's with Daniel Craig, right? Ooh. Yeah, Daniel yes. Craig is the prisoner. Yeah, I think I might have seen it when it came out. <laughs> I feel like you'd remember it. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah, I need to revisit that. I definitely need to revisit that. I love uh, Adam Driver in that movie. Everyone's great in that movie. Uh, yes, that's true. <laughs> because it's Steven Soderbergh, which this movie right, also... exactly. This movie, that, <laughs> Out of Sight, 1998. This movie, that, uh, Steven Soderbergh actually didn't shoot this movie. He usually does the cinematography on a lot of his films, but this one was... Who was this? Uh, Elliot Davis. Thank you, Elliot Davis. And really well done. I think it's, you know, the lighting's the lighting's perfect and it's it's they're good, you know, he chooses good camera angles and he makes, you know, George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez look amazing in oh, yeah, yeah, every shot. Is- and you're like, well, of course they'd be attracted to each other. Who wouldn't? <laughs> right. This this you can't say this is a, a poorly made movie at all. No, it's 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 no. well it's well made. For me, maybe a little bit kind of tropey and forgettable and of its time, but that's you know, that's me. If I had seen this movie uh probably you know, when it came out in theaters, then maybe I would feel differently. But coming to it now where I feel like I've seen this movie in a bunch of different forms, I was just like, Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I would say it's it's almost a ding that it's it's so polished and so slick that it's right. almost a product rather than a movie. Right, exactly. That's 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 exactly kind of how I feel about it. But I mean, it's so well done and it's so engaging. I actually found that I was taking fewer notes than I normally do because I didn't want to pause to write things down. Um and I you know, was having trouble looking somewhere other than the screen. So <laughs> any any movie with Louis Guzman, I'm gonna give big bo- like bonuses to. So yeah, and folks it, love it, this it. movie. Like Robert Roger Ebert was highly complimentary of this. It, this thing's got a ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes when you look back well, at reviews from its time. Critic from the right. critic on Rotten right. Tomatoes, it did not do as well with audiences. It's only like seventy four percent with audiences. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it only it only made about seventy seven million on a budget of forty eight, which makes it an unprofitable movie. Uh, mm-hmm. But but people, you know, really, yeah, critics really did praise, and I think rightly so. You have, you know, George Clooney's performance in this movie, Jennifer Lopez's performance in this movie. George Clooney remembers this movie very fondly, um, partially because he was just coming into his own as a star at this time, and you know, wasn't he felt like he wasn't just doing what the director told him. He actually had some input on what was going on. Uh, and I think, I mean, I think, as we've said many times, the two leads in this film do great they're they're wonderful 
Yeah, it kind of is a star maker for him if you think about it, which is weird. Like, typically after you're Batman, you're a star. But <laughs> um, he was Batman the year before on this, and this is more this memorable movie? to me. Jeez, yeah. Oof. Yeah, Nipple Batman was 97, so. Oh, God. So this was redemption for George Clooney. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's um one more thing I didn't put on the the docket that I did want to bring up. I mean, there is a, a part of this movie that I find problematic that I put pretty much squarely on Elmore Leonard and that is that the African American characters are not as a whole great. You know, Buddy's whole while he's the the positive African American character, he is the the best friend and the support guy for the main white guy uh, right. rather than a, a co-lead of this movie and all the other characters you know don Cheadle, while very intelligent is playing a you know dangerous criminal character who will shoot you as soon as look at you and isaiah washington is playing this really repulsive character who is ready to sexually Ooh, assault yeah. people at the drop of a hat and he's yeah. just kind of gross in that way, and it's it's very uncomfortable to watch. No, I, yeah, I think I think you're you're spot on. Where even when you have the positive ones, like the character of Buddy, it's everything he does is kind of in reaction. He's just following along George Clooney. Uh, you know, yeah, when- Elmore Leonard's not tremendously great at writing characters of color. Yeah, I'm thinking back uh-huh. to Jackie Brown to try to remember the only. The only character of color I can really, you know, remember in Jackie Brown vividly is is Ordell Robbie, you know, Samuel. Well, and Jackie, 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 but she wasn't originally black. She was she was white in the book. Oh, of course. And Jackie. Um, But I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. That's a little problematic. (laughs) You're absolutely right. Uh, Is that do you think is that a through line through a lot of his novels? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I suspect it's your average, you know, white guy who doesn't happen to know a lot of American, African-American people. So therefore, he doesn't know how to write them tremendously well. I mean, Viola Davis does okay here, but she's also, you know, an African-American woman who in the middle of the day is still in her robe at home. Um, So it's just kind of it, it has some implications that she's not working and we don't know why. Um, so I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent clear on that. She doesn't have a lot of a character. Her job is exposition. Right. Yeah. She shows up to say some things and then walk off screen. <laughs> right. Pretty so much to be sent out for takeout shrimp. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Takeout shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to mention this movie a, a moment that I'm, uh, I was referring in my head to as the Co- the Coen brothers moment, uh, which is white boy, Bob, coming up the stairs. Oh yeah. And shooting himself in the head. <laughs> that was such a Cohen brothers scene. To That's me. a burn after reading scene, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's so, it's this weird, dark moment of comedy in this, like what's going on. It was jarring. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, they do a good job setting that up. You see him a, a couple of times previously slipping. Stairs, I think yeah. it's because of, you know, whatever shoes he happens to have on. Um, so they telegraph that, that that's going to happen again at a key moment. Um, but you don't expect him to shoot himself straight through the 
head. Yeah. It was surprising. It was. It was. I saw this movie in the theaters and it was very surprising. And everybody in the audience was like, oh, oh. The the reason that I refer to it largely as a, uh, there's another movie that George Clooney is in. um, It's with, it's with Catherine Zeta Jones, actually, as we were talking about it is a Coen brothers movie. Uh, and they're intolerable cruelty, intolerable cruelty. And there's a scene where, um, there's like a hitman is coming after him. He's got asthma. And while things are like, there's like a tussle and things are very tense. Like, you know, the guy's having an asthma attack and he has like his inhaler in one hand, his gun in the other. And after like some confusion, he puts the gun in his head, mouth and fires it off instead of like taking the inhaler. And I just, I just got very vivid memories of that, uh, while watching this. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and then one of, the, one of the last things I also want to talk about is just J-Lo. I feel like we haven't focused on J-Lo as an actress too much. Um, I, I To be honest, I don't really know what came first for Jennifer Lopez. Was it I'm in living color, now I'm an actress? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then now I'm a singer. Okay. Um, so... It's yeah, I, I don't think that she's a bad actress. I just think in general, she's not that great. of an no, Yeah, she's she a little does, bit limited. Yeah, she can deliver her lines. She's she does. OK, um, I think she's better than she gets credit for in uh, The Cell, which is a Tarsem Singh movie that I wouldn't mind covering at some point. This I think uh, this this movie plays perfectly into her range and, and what she's really good at. Yes. Yeah. It's, I think it's the best directed she's ever been. I think it's the best performance she's ever given. Clearly someone hasn't seen Anaconda. <laughs> or, or made in Manhattan. <laughs> right. Yeah. I have. I've not seen the boy next door, however, which I hear is quite something. <laughs> it is something. Is that the one where like it's a it's a horror thriller about her having an affair with a teenage boy or something like that? It's so it's, it's, it's a Blumhouse movie. Um, uh, okay. He's not like he's, he's like a young guy, like maybe early twenties or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, all right. Very cool. You know, I I'm happy we watched this movie, if not just to indulge in the suaveness of George Clooney, um, oh, yeah. because I don't know a lot of early Clooney stuff. This is kind of foreign to me. I, Clooney to me is 2000s onward. It is, you know, Ocean's Eleven and whatnot. So it's oh, that's because you weren't around for ER. Oh, or that, that's even why call- before that, the facts of life. Yeah. That's why I called him original McDreamy. <laughs> yeah, ER yeah, man. he was a big breakout star of ER. Everybody was like, "Ooh, who is this guy with the weird and, cedar cut?" And, well, uh, and he and he did that thing that right. <laughs> he did that thing that in the in the '90s, especially, was kind of unheard of. You know, he made the transition from being a TV star to a movie star. Yeah, that and was that, very difficult. Still in the '90s, it wasn't until afterward that that became more fluid. Yeah, that was just pretty much unheard of at the time. Definitely, definitely. Well, I'm happy we watched it. Nicole, thank you for bringing this onto the plate for us. Uh, New to two is really an interesting opportunity. Glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's an interesting opportunity to see movies that I've never even heard of. Uh, I did not know this movie existed. So I'm excited we watched it. Let's go around the table, though. uh, And 
first of all, let's get some final thoughts. David, you had also seen this for the very first time. Yes. Um, I, I think kind of as Nicole put it earlier, there's times where this movie feels like a, a product more than like a passion project. But that's not to say that I think it's a bad movie. It is just a, a movie that I feel like I more if I had not watched it here, my only other brush with it would be when I'm at someone's house who has like TBS and this movie is playing on some afternoon and I watch it for like 20 minutes. Uh, but I'm glad that it was, I was pointed towards it because I think there's more here than I would have ex- uh, suspected just kind of looking at like the poster for it. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. I mean, the movie engaged me in the first five minutes with with his first failed heist. I mean, oh yeah, as no, that soon seems as, great. That seems as great. soon as he walks out of the out of the the SunTrust Bank, and the man that he was you know purporting to be his accomplice says, you know, who is that guy? And you learn that he was just telling the teller this all along uh, to scare her. I'm like, I'm in on this movie. This is great. Um, one of my favorite scenes in the movie and also it's really great when we get a little background on it later on but next week we are going to be watching swordfish uh it's swordfish guys yes you yep. can watch the it if you really want definitely a, yeah that movie is definitely a product yep, that yeah. movie is and i'm comfortable saying this a movie that i watched <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you will see it next week on Netflix Roulette. That means you can, of course, watch it on Netflix should you choose to to do that. But let's go around the table. Nicole Davis, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me under at your word whiz on Twitter, Y-O-U-R-W-O-R-D-W-H-I-Z. You can find me under Nicole underscore Davis on Letterboxd, and that's no E before the final D. And... I take care of our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Podcast. So you can find us and engage with us there. Absolutely. What about you, David? Uh, around the internet, I use the name Davluz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, you can find me there. And Brokebot Mountain is, at the time of this recording, coming out of its hibernation. So if you were listening to that podcast or want to check it out, new episodes are now coming out. Very good. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. You can also rate the show on iTunes and Stitcher. That helps more people get involved in this wonderful community. And like I say every single week, the more of you are uh, voting on You Did This to Us weeks every five weeks, the more interesting it's going to get. And it's gotten very interesting at times. So please go ahead and rate and review the show on iTunes and get involved with that on the Facebook page, on the Twitter page. All that good stuff. That'll do it for myself, David, and Nicole. We are going to be back next week with Swordfish for Netflix Roulette.